Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. It looks like the stars have been scattered across the ground. Have you ever seen anything so full of splendor? So soon? They'll be expecting us. Will you bring me back? I'd like to see it again. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding Westworld, a recap podcast about the HBO original series Westworld. I'm David Chen. I'm Joanna Robinson. And welcome to the show. What we do here on this podcast is we dive in-depth into every episode of Westworld, Uh, We don't spoil anything from future episodes. That includes anything from the next time on preview of the show. You can find more episodes of this podcast at DecodingWestworld.com. You can also email us at DecodingWestworld at gmail.com. Before we get going, I want to do some announcements. I want to get to some emails at DecodingWestworld at gmail.com and then dive into this episode, Joanna. Uh, But an announcement, uh, there was a a new season of uh, Westworld was announced, right? Like season three is going to happen? Sure is. Uh, so that's very exciting. Uh, it means you know that people uh, at HBO like what's going on with uh, the show, and it's getting enough ratings to to sustain another season. So uh, we we have that to look forward to. Who knows how long it will be until the next season? You know, it could be a couple years. <laughs> sure. um, but that is very exciting. That's uh, okay. They they've got a little show called Game of Thrones next year. So yes, yes. I don't know if you've heard of it. So. Uh, no, I haven't. And. Mm. Um, uh, also wanted to point out, we're, we're still getting some questions about when episodes of this podcast will be released. In general, uh, Wednesday night, although we will try to get them out sooner. But yeah, uh, episodes of Decoding Westworld are out Wednesday night this year, just because of a lot of uh, scheduling things going on with us. So I uh, uh, wanted to make those couple of announcements. We also got a bunch of emails this week, uh, and I wanted to read some of them. Um, so let's see. We got a bunch of emails about the use of the entertainer. Apparently no one liked my explanation of, <laughs> of, uh, why there was the entertainer, uh, the, the song played on the piano for season two, episode one. Uh, and here comes one of the emails from Cheryl who writes into decodingwestworld.gmail.com. Uh, wanted to drop you a note to remind you that the music on the piano, The Entertainer, is used in the movie The Sting with Robert Redford and uh, Paul Newman. In The Sting, the audience is just as surprised as the person who is conned in the movie. We think Redford rats out Newman's character when, in fact, that was part of the plan. We also think Redford is killed before the big reveal. Perhaps the music here is a foreshadowing of such a twist, question mark? Uh, so, anyway... Uh, that's an email from Cheryl and many other people saying that The Entertainer could have been a reference to the movie The Sting. What do you think, Joanna? Um, I do know – I mean I, I knew that The Entertainer was a song used, most identified with the movie The Sting or either that or people who played piano. Did you play piano growing I up? I did. I did, yeah. Did you play The Entertainer and or Maple Leaf Rag? <laughs> uh, I play, I don't know if I played The Entertainer, but I definitely did ragtime stuff. So Okay. Yeah. Joplin. Anyway, um 
it could it could be a reference to the sting i'm sure there are certainly people who are like conning people and twists and all that kind of stuff um i, I this is gonna shock you dave i'm shocked i'm shocked already right now because i know about the maple leaf rag this is gonna shock you I still think my explanation is right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> and what was your explanation, just so to remind us? Oh, just that it was like, um, I don't know, that it has more to do with the player piano uh, symbol as a symbol. And I don't know if I'm remembering what I said correctly. And um, Sounds like it was really memorable. <laughs> it was really good and concise. <laughs> and also the, the like, that it how fun and shocking it was to hear uh, something not anachronistic played on that piano. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Um, I mean, I think that was kind of what I was saying too, but you know, what, water what? under the bridge, water <laughs> under the bridge, Joanna. It's okay. Uh, well, let's, thank- all, uh, let's all agree to disagree about Joplin. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, okay. Uh, so, uh, at the, during the episode last week, I brought up the fact that there were, uh, hundreds of people in the park like at the gala event and i said something along the lines of uh, you know it feels like the board of delos is really really huge uh but please if you're a member of a board of directors let us know if this is representative we got this email from evan uh who writes in uh hey david and joanna wanted to give you a quick response to your question about why there were so many apparent board members in the park during the massacre i work closely with the board of directors and i put on galas not unlike the one portrayed Larger boards will rarely consist of more than 25 people. As Joanna said, boards will generally bring a plus one. However, galas are often more than a simple celebration and usually have ulterior motives like attracting investors, donors, or customers. Board members will invite as many as 30 people each in order to promote the organization putting on the gala. Contracted partners, media, celebs, and others are likely to be invited as well. For instance, my most recent gala included nearly 300 people in attendance, but the board of directors only consists of about 15 members. Delos's board would probably be a little bit larger hope this glimpse into corporate ego stroking has been helpful evan so that comes from evan who writes into decodingwestworld.gmail.com uh so thanks for that yeah great good explanation um and i hope to one day live a life where i am being the one i am the one inviting 30 people to a gala that sounds like a good life um but uh it seems like a very plausible number of people at the gala in westworld so just wanted to clear that up uh, a bunch of people wrote into decodingwestworld.gmail.com to say, you didn't mention Stubbs right. and what happened to Stubbs. At the end of season one, Stubbs is attacked by people in the park. And then uh, theoretically, like weeks later, uh, in the future timeline that we saw in season two, episode one, Stubbs is com- breathing comfortably and alive, right? So uh, I-, I think people just wanted to, us to acknowledge that at some point in the interim – we will find out how Stubbs survived his whole little tiff with the uh, the freaking out host at the at the park, right? Yeah, and I mean, it, fair fair point to everyone who's like, why didn't you mention even mention that? That's a fair point. Um, it's not that we didn't like notice, uh, but people we just care a lot about Stubbs. I think is really people, what we learned. We, yeah, the this should be called best, the Stubbs Show. The second best Hemsworth, but um, third best, second best, but uh, the. I, I just am assuming we'll find out what happened to him. Yeah. There have been some like crazy. Yeah. Oh, someone in our chat has already brought this up. A lot of people think that Stubbs has been swapped out for a host. I'm not on that team, but there are people who think now that Stubbs on the beach is a robot Stubbs. I don't <laughs> think so, but 
Um, I have a fairly good, but not entirely perfect track record on this, but he is not pinging my, that's a host now radar. So, Mm. all right. Uh, we also got a bunch of sort of speculation about what's up with Bernard's brain goo. Um, yeah. So this email comes in from Brian. Brian writes in, I think the existence and purpose of the brain goo is related to and inferred from the scene on the beach where the egg is extracted from the Ghost Nation host. The only reason to extract the egg on the beach is to show the audience the liquid surrounding the egg before we see it leaking from Bernard's head. Presumably, the liquid is to cool and cushion the CPU inside the host's heads. If the fluid leaks out, the CPU would overheat and cause corruption of the host brain. Bernard notices he's leaking from the head and wound after the massacre, recognizes the effects because he knows how hosts are built, and performs a self-diagnostic in the lab, refills his brain goo to cool down his CPU. So, Brian, that's Brian writing to decodingwestworld.gmail.com. We also got a bunch of other emails about it. Joanna, any, uh, any thoughts or any favorite theories of yours? Are you ready for our first major theory of mm. Westworld Season 2? Bring it on. Okay. Uh, I'm not sharing every single theory uh, I've read or thought of on this season. A, because uh, some of it is cuckoo bananas you guys are crazy people but b also because some of it is based on images in like the trail of the season trailer and we consider those off limits so we're not gonna talk about this but this we can anchor entirely to footage that we have all seen on the show so here it is which is the multiple bernards theory <laughs> and that is uh, so much is being made about the head wound on Bernard. We know that he's leaking like his his critical failure and, and the goo that he had to top up and all that sort of stuff is because of this gunshot wound he sustained to his head last season. Um, there is a scar on the side of his forehead that Felix, the tech, sort of like, you, you know, stitched him up. That's where he got stitched up last season. You see him touching the scar, like much is made of the scar. The camera lingers on it. The character played by Jeffrey Wright who wakes up on the beach does not have a scar inside his head. So let's just put that down and So what 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 is it. the theory, Joanna? Um are there multiple Bernards? Mm, that's one mm. question. Mm. Uh the, the last <laughs> thing I'll introduce and I don't have any... The, the great rhetorical question for the ages, are there multiple Bernards? <laughs> well, this is the last thing I'll say. Uh-huh. The last time they fooled us about Bernard... Yeah? It was because he was Arnold. So, I just... I don't have any solid answers for you. I'm just going to say that, like... There are always two options for who Jeffrey Wright might be playing at any given time. Mm. And right. I don't know how it would work for that beach person to be Arnold, but uh, it's always an option for Jeffrey Wright to be playing Arnold instead of Bernard. So, mm. Mm. All right. Cool. Well, uh, I think that answers a lot of the... Uh, emails that we got this week. You can always keep those emails rolling into decodingwestworld at gmail.com. Hey, Joanna, I just thought of a great name for, uh, like a great alternate name for this show, um, which is about how Stubbs messed everything up in the park because mm. he's the security guy. Yeah. I, I, would, I, sh- I think you should call the show Botch It and Stubbs. That's a kind of a Crockett and Tubbs reference. Okay. Yeah, it's really good. It was, uh, yeah, you know, I'm st- I was working. I, I extemporized it. Okay, you know, <laughs> improv. 
<laughs> I didn't feel a very very yes end coming out of that joke. Oh, uh, Miami Nice. Is that, is that our yes end? <laughs> very good. Very good. I'm for sorry. Our, for our younger listeners, <laughs> <laughs> Crockett and Tubbs were the detectives on Miami Vice. Oh, all right. thank you. Um, <laughs> all right. So let's dive into this episode, Joanna. Um, Joanna, crazy shit goes down in this episode. I just got to put that out there, right? This episode, Season 2, Episode 2, Reunion, is directed by Vincenzo Natale, previous guest and friend of Decoding Westworld. It was also written by Jonah Nolan, Lisa Joy, and Carly Rae, who is the latter of who is a, a writer on Mad Men, right? Yeah. And it starts with a cold open, right? Is, am I right about that? Like, it's one of the few episodes in the show to start with a cold open. Um, yeah. Because I, I think most of them don't have a cold open. I think that's right. Um, and this is a flashback uh, where Arnold and Dolores are talking in an apartment. And I, I think this is the first glimpse we have of the world outside the park. Am I right about that? Um, yeah. Yeah, because last year everyone was like, has it been decimated by disease? Or like, what's going on in the real world? So yeah, this is our our real world look. Yeah. I do want to call out one thing, which is that last week I, I, I made the point like, Oh, does it really matter if the park is in Mars? And Peter Serretta from SlashFilm.com gave me a ton of crap about that. He <laughs> said, well, if they're trying to escape the park, then it actually kind of does matter if the park is on Mars, right? Because uh, it would really affect their escape plans, you know, to get so. to the yeah. outside world. So uh, fortunately, you know, we don't even need to deal with me being wrong because we actually see that it's not on Mars in this episode. Kind of. I mean, let me tell you something. Yeah. A few things. Like, because there are still people, even after all the maggots in Dr. Ford's face last week. Oh, yeah. There are people who are still like, no, because if Maeve can have MRSA, then a robot Ford can have maggots. I don't know what it's going to take for you people to believe that that is actually Ford dead. But that being said, I think even despite what we saw this week and last, there's still going to be people who are like, but maybe it is on Mars. But... You know, the character played by Jeffrey Wright in the scene, probably Arnold. <laughs> I'm just never sure. But uh, Arnold says that he needs his two worlds to be close to one another. It looks like we're in China. Um, and so they to me... They walk by a restaurant with a Chinese character on it, right? Right. Uh, that, that Dave's mom ha- helpfully translated for us. So, like, <laughs> I think that... <laughs> I think that it's... Uh, I think it's safe to assume, I think, yeah. that he's building this home that's a somewhat easy commutable distance from the park so that he can be less of an absentee father and husband to his family is the implication. And that to me seems to confirm the location of the park um, in the South China Sea somewhere. Maybe Um, other people will still always say, no, it's right near his rocket launcher pad to the moon or like whatever. (laughs) So Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And so I I think there's many clues that this is Arnold talking to Dolores, right? Uh, First of all, it's like like pre park. Um, also, for young Ford comes in. We hear Anthony Hopkins' voice eighty yard into you know this actor's uh, face, who we don't really see, and uh, is asking about um, you know who who is she ready? But Arnold says she's too unpredictable, so they'll go with the other girl instead. You later find out that what they're talking about is uh, how they're going to uh, entice. Logan Delos, who we, we find out his last name is Delos, right? Mm-hmm. Logan Delos to invest in uh, this technology, right? And uh, so 
for all those reasons, we think this is actually Arnold and that we're seeing a flashback in this scene. Yeah, I mean, young, young Ford is the main indicator there, right? Like, uh, he might be (laughs) cleverly reflected in a window, but that is meant to be young Ford. This does feel like pre-park. They need investors. They need to show something off. I believe other people disagree, but I believe that everything we see here and then in the house that Dolores goes to, and then all the stuff with Logan is all the same night. Um, but other people disagree, but, or have some questions around it or at least keeping their minds opened about it. But that's what I believe we're seeing. So, uh, so let's, what we're going to do is rather than do the episode scene by scene, we're going to talk about like all the stuff that happens in this timeline, uh, or in, (laughs) <laughs> it's hard to even say this timeline because there, this uh, there's many different moments in time uh, along this path. I guess maybe we could say call it a uh, what's his name the guy who plays Young William um, the Jimmy Simpson Jim, verse? the Jimmy Simpson timeline <laughs> right like right. any time where Jimmy Simpson is alive like because yeah. technically Joanna they're all one timeline you know they're different points in one timeline but uh, anyway the Jimmy yeah. Simpson part. Uh, but a few other things you write here in the show notes. Arnold says that uh, his wife says he lives in the park and that this is like billing it for uh, the house there is for his son, Charlie. So we know that Charlie, who was Bernard and Arnold's uh, son. dying son, uh, is still alive at this point in time. Uh, they, I, yeah. I rewatched this a bunch of times to like figure out if I felt like Arnold was telling the truth or deluding himself of like, I'm building this for my son, Charlie and Charlie's already dead or right. stuff like that. It, it really does feel to me like Arnold. And I really do think this is Arnold, uh, believes his son is still alive or his son is still alive when he's talking to Loris about this. Um, did you notice the queer pattern on the masonry in his house? I did. It looked kind of like a maze. Uh, we got a few theories on Twitter about what the architecture represented, right? Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and Reddit has been doing its thing. Because I watched it, I was like, I'm sure this means something. I have no idea what it means. And then Reddit's like, we have some ideas. Um, the maze thing uh, has to do with, uh, I don't know if you guys have ever ma- built a maze, drawn a maze, sort of like the thing that Arnold presents to Dolores, but there are these like circuitry patterns that you use to start drawing a maze. And that's similar to one of them that uh, I think it's like a three circuit pattern or something like that. They used to start a maze. So basically like you draw that cross pattern and then the four dots, and then you draw the lines coming out from the dots like that. Um, Another thing that Reddit found that is crazy has to do with um, ancient cartography and how that's, sign means um there's stones at the bottom of this river <laughs> which people are trying to connect to like the, the flood and the lake and the hosts in it stuff like that i'm not as convinced of that as i am arnold who's fond of mazes has maze symbology in his house but um still those are two. another theory is that uh what's being shown here is the jerusalem cube okay like, what's or, that? or the jerusalem cross which uh is a, a oh, major yes. symbol yeah, yeah. used in Christianity, uh, representing Christ's command to spread the gospel around the world, beginning in Jerusalem. So there's a lot of different theories, a lot of different theories uh, about what this could be. Actually, this theory I'm reading about this Jerusalem cube is at a, a, a website called religionandpopularculture.com, and you are name-checked uh, on this article. 
speculating oh, no. about the uh, Jerusalem cube. So, uh, anyway, a lot of different theories about what this could mean, but I think the show clearly draws your attention to it with a close up, right? It wouldn't. I don't think it would do that unless it was somehow significant. Yeah, and someone in the chat mentions that it's the um, Ennis house, which is a Los Feliz house. It's similar to, but not the same pattern as the Ennis house, which you can Google if you want to. Oh um, snap. So it's similar, though. Like, it's probably a reference to, but it's not the same pattern as so. Um, But Marina Midori in the chat brings up a great question, which I actually don't have an answer for, which is if this all takes place in one night, right? So if we see Arnold and Ford and Dolores talking and Arnold saying she's not ready, and then we see Arnold taking Dolores to a house, and then we see later see Angela pitching um, Logan, how is it that Arnold – like? Dolores is basically like, wow, it's a sweet ass house. I'm going to paraphrase Dolores there. And yeah, Arnold's no. like, Arnold's it sounded like, oh, just like her. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and Arnold's like, oh, I've been lucky. Right. Which sounds like he has a lot of money. Uh, and so a lot of people have questioned, including Marina in our chat, of like, what uh, ha- if Arnold and Ford are so desperate for investors, how does Arnold have all this money already to build this sweet ass house? Right. I don't know. I don't have a good answer for that. So. I I don't know. I, that doesn't bother me at all. I mean, like, um, there are plenty of people who are doing okay or decently financially uh, who are part of startups, but whose startups are running out of money. So I guess I've seen that enough in real life that it doesn't feel uh, I, the realm possibility. I agree with that. I just want to put a pin in it, yep. like, because some people are saying this is indication of, like, hinky timeline, whatever. It might be you never know with Westworld, uh, but I agree with you, Dave. My first instinct was I know plenty of rich people in the Bay Area whose startup, like, doesn't have money, but they have money to buy right, a next right. house. So, yeah. So then Logan and William. We see Logan and William, which, uh, you know, I know I think you had an inkling that we'd see them again. I did not really know that we would have, you know, meaningful interactions with these two again. Uh, And this is pre-Westworld season one, right? This interaction we're seeing. Because uh, Logan says at some point, can you believe that guy's dating my sister? So it's before they were even engaged, right? So it could be months or years before uh, Westworld season, the events of Westworld season one. I believe it's years because... Um, Arnold killed himself multiple years, like something that Logan says in season one indicates that Arnold killed himself several years ago. Right. So Arnold killed himself 35 years ago. Uh, Logan and William go to the park 30 years ago. So like roughly five years Roughly. Yeah. I mean, least. not to mention the park doesn't exist at this point in time. Right, right. right? So it's like it, it's no matter how futuristic their technology is, it's going to take some time to build that park. Um, so they're talking to uh, this Asian dude and then, you know, Willem gets bored and leaves and uh, uh, Logan kind of makes a pass at the dude to kind of remind you that he's uh, bisexual, I believe. Right. Um, and then. <laughs> Trust me, I hadn't forgotten. Thanks, Logan. <laughs> <laughs> and then Angela and uh, Kichata? Uh, Kichata? Kichata. Kichata. Uh, mm-hmm. Played by Zan McLarnon. Uh, walk in. It's Zan. Zan. Zan McLarnon. Thank you. Yeah. Um, a, a preview of all the names we're going to butcher today. So um, they talk, like, they basically represent uh, the Argos Initiative. Uh, and they're here to present Logan with uh, technology that he may or may not want to invest in, right? Um, what does Argos mean to you, Joanna? Gosh, so many things. But first of all, let's really quickly note the music that's playing here, which is the Kanye West track uh, that we knew was coming because it pl- also played over um, 
a trailer, yeah. right, for season two. Um, a a Ramin Javadi esque piano cover of Kanye's Runway, right? Um, yep. The a lot of people noted that this was a interesting week for a Kanye West song to drop in an episode of television, given what Kanye has been up to on Twitter. And uh, when it plays, Logan says, uh, toast to the assholes. Yeah. So some people just found that a humorous coincidence. Of, Which is a line from the song, we should say. So Yeah. So, um, so uh, yeah. But uh, the Argus Initiative. Someone today pointed out to me, and I hadn't realized that Argus Initiative, the initials for which are AI. But this is the first we've heard of this. This is what the company was called before it was Dallas Incorporated. Argus Initiative is what Ford and Arnold called their company. Um, the, with the use of Delos and Argos, I feel like we need to really keep diving into our knowledge of Greek mythology and Greek history. Um Argos makes me think of Jason and the Argonauts. Um, Argos makes me think of the Maze and the Minotaur. And then the Argus, the Argo Argus uh, contingent was also involved in the Battle of Troy, which of course is a Trojan horse, which I think we're probably going to see some kind of Trojan horse situation this season uh, based on like, I don't know, Hosts playing possum, perhaps, uh, would be my thoughts on Argos. What does it mean to? Oh, oh, and the last one someone mentioned to me is there's a, um, there's a giant named Argos. I think it is that's covered in all all covered in eyes, um, and this is like the origin myth for the peacock. I believe um, it was like guarding the tree with the apple of discord. I think it is in Greek mythology. Someone mentioned it as a possibility of like uh, this company is always watching you. The eyes mm. are always open. So, mm. yeah. Very cool. Um, a lot of potential meanings to chew on there. Uh, so we see Logan uh, going into this room. Uh, he says that his father leaves all the prospecting to him. He goes into this room and uh, there's a bunch of people there. And uh, like he, he thinks it's a game where he needs to tell who the one hidden host was. Now, when you were watching this, was your reaction, they're all hosts, uh, which was what my reaction was? Or what, what did you think of it? Yeah, but like um, that's because Jonathan Tucker's in the scene, right? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Actor Jonathan Tucker really gave the game away for me. Plus, we know Angela is a host. Plus, uh, I was pretty sure Zahn was also Zahn McLaren, who's so good on Fargo season two. I'm pretty sure he's also playing. Well, I know now, but I was pretty sure he was also playing a host. So I, I knew right away. Jonathan Tucker's a real giveaway, maybe for some people who like his work. But yeah. So Jonathan Tucker plays Major Craddock, uh, who appears later in the episode. Uh, but have we seen him prior to this point? In, in the no, but the, in the casting announcement for season two, they said he was playing someone named Major Craddock. I see. And I was I like, see, see. I don't think Major Craddock is the name of a guy at a fancy party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. You know. um, so then Logan has set, like a orgy with a bunch of the hosts. And uh, then Dolores watches as Angela gets dressed. Um, uh, so a couple questions, a couple things. First of all, uh, as you write in the show notes, uh, Clementine is playing the man I love by Gershwin. And that was really cool to see, like, because the reveal of Clementine, you see her from behind, and then later you see her that, oh, it's Clementine playing the piano there. Mm-hmm. Kind of cool. Uh, why was Dolores even there? That was my question. Um, was that explained? Well, I think Dolores was just, like, nearby because Dolores was going to be used, and then they used Angela instead. I don't know why Dolores then, like, wandered into the party. Yeah, why did she, like, get into his hotel room? Like, that that was what was confusing to me, but, you know. I don't know. Yeah. 
I don't know the answer to that. Uh, to me, it looked a little bit like, I mean, this is the thing is like Ford said in season one, we're not supposed to lay emotion on them. But it looked to me like Dolores was looking a little judgmentally mm. at Angela. And it looked to me as Angela was getting dressed that she looked a little like defensive and ashamed. Mm. Um, those are the like facial expressions I read on those actresses. Um uh, okay, let me just say for the record that that those that was not what I read. I mean, okay. I, I thought it was kind of like Dolores was kind of um, for Dolores is like seeing her like it's like seeing her parents, you know, have sex or something. It was like this discovery, this element of like what is happening, and I, I, like I'm I'm only beginning to scratch the surface of how hosts are deployed, right? And like what we are, what our usages are, and how humans will subjugate us. Like that's kind of. It cuts back and forth between modern day Dolores like wreaking havoc, and then this kind of old, this kind of older innocent Dolores. And so I think this is kind of part of the loss of her innocence, or her innocence starting to be peeled away. That's my interpretation. Yeah, that's not that's that's a really good one. We should also mention that something we lose by doing this sort of somewhat chronologically or whatever uh, is the smash cut from this to uh, Angela stabbing a dude <laughs> <laughs> yeah. in the modern timeline. Um, this is the part – I'm just saying it everywhere I can so that whoever it is that I said this to hears me. This is the part where I admit I was wrong because on Twitter when the trailer came out, I thought that was Dolores like putting her bra on, getting dressed. Uh, mm. And a bunch of people were like, I think that looks like Tallulah Riley, the actress who plays Angela. And I'm like, no, it's Dolores. And I was like real shitty about it. Um, mm. So I was wrong and I mm. want to apologize to those people. And when I saw the episode, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway. Well, hopefully they'll accept your apology. Um, but let's move on with the, uh, the rest of the episode here. So, so we're still kind of staying with this William and Logan storyline, and uh, we see we we cut to the inside of the park and um, the beginning of Dolores's loop, where you know uh, Armistice Armistice is a sheriff. Dolores drops her can. Teddy approaches, and then everything freezes. Great moment again. Reminds me of like how fun that opening episode of. Westworld was where you thought Teddy was uh, a guest. You know, right. Like the, the, the whole opening episode is shot as a Teddy's the guest, but then you realize he's actually part of the game. Uh, and this kind of brought me back to that. Everything freezes. And then here we have a Peter, I want to say Mullen. Yeah. Peter Mullen. Uh, Peter Mullen. AKA, AKA Jim Delos, AKA Logan's dad comes over. He picks up the milk can. Um, and then they have a, an interaction. Um about the park and William is trying to convince uh, Jim Delos to invest in Westworld. Right. So to to be clear, Delos already has a stake in Westworld and William wants like a controlling. That's right. uh, I'm sorry. sorry. You're you're right. They've already, they've already, because this is after the events of, this is after the events of William uh, or young William in season one of Westworld. Right. So, so William has already gone through his whole adventure with Logan and with Dolores and he is trying to say, hey, we got to like I, I, I'm going to kick in more money and I'm going to like control this. And he's basically doing like a hostile takeover, essentially. Right. Yes, actually. Yes. And um, the well, I wanted to pause really quickly and ask you, like, do you are you are you a fan or familiar with the actor Peter Mullen? Do you have any like feelings about him? Uh, I've seen him in things and I think he's really talented. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, he he was in like um, Children of Men. He was in Braveheart. I, like great, great roles in those movies. 
Um, I'm a huge fan of both his and Jonathan Tucker. And so like, uh, the, the additions this season, I just think have been, and, and, uh, Zon McLaren. And so the additions, whoever's casting this and I should have looked this up and it's probably Nina gold since I yeah. like everything, but since maybe not, everything, yeah. um, uh, is just so top notch. And I just, I'm so excited that Peter Mullen's a part of this season for however yeah. long. He may be, but, um, yeah, so, so William, William wants to stage a hostile takeover, as you put it, uh, and his pitch to Jim Delos is like, you know, Jim, Jim is saying a similar thing that, that Logan was saying in season one, which is that the company's in financial dire straits, um, they're hemorrhaging cash. They've got like two or three years at, at best, um, before they go under because their business model cannot sustain or whatever. And he's like, I don't want to invest in this like money loser of a pleasure park. And then they this is where William delivers like um, his this is why I think it's important that Carly Ray from Bad Men wrote this episode. This is where he delivers his pitch about like um, what the park can really mean, how it can deliver to them like unfiltered marketing research because people think what happens in Westworld stays in Westworld, but they're going to be watching everything. I, I think it's a great scene and a great uh, glimpse of the I'm liking this evolution of william that we see yeah oh totally totally really uh really enjoy seeing him go from i mean there's really this crazy arc that he goes on from uh doe-eyed naive person you know being enticed by the charms of westworld to then realizing how he can turn that to his business advantage right is what we see in this episode yeah and i didn't really like the cut we got in the season finale last year of like he puts on the hat and then he lifts up his head and it said harris and i'm like uh but then what um like he lived an entire (laughs) lifetime between those two two cuts or that cut is what we're uh what we're saying. And and the interview with I had an interview with Jimmy Simpson last year where he's like, no, I'm not going to be back for season two. I think either either a he was lying or b he didn't know yet, or I should say two years ago, whenever this uh, season one came out. And I was like, really, we're not going to get like more young William and like how the f he got here. And I'm just I I actually really really like this episode for all of that. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. Overall, I thought it was a great episode. Um, and it, it is truly horrifying to imagine the idea of uh, a massive multinational. Uh, corporation worth billions of dollars where they've aggregated all this user data that they can use against you. I mean, it's really horrifying to even contemplate that being a possibility and and I hope it never comes to pass in the real world. You know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) I'm I'm talking about a fictional imagined future and not the reality that we exist in on a day-to-day basis, you know? Actually, someone, I mean, I'll, I'll circle back to this at the end of the episode, but someone mentioned not just, um, I'm going to say that was a Facebook illusion, but you can deny, deny if you want. Um, just talking about Friendster, but okay, go ahead. Okay, sure, sure. MySpace? I don't know. Um, not just the Facebook uh, comparison in this episode, but also the idea that Dolores is in all, like, Jimmy Simpson is in a lot of these scenes. Dolores is in all of these scenes. <laughs> Not just because she's a character we're following, but because, as we've seen on the show before, uh, hosts can be in scenes in order to spy for their masters, Um, as as we saw with Rodrigo Santoro's character last year, Hector, spying on Charlotte and Teresa. So just to know that Dolores could be recording every single thing that William and Jim and Logan say throughout this episode and spitting it back to Ford or right. not not so. even could, could be like likely is i would say or like, at the very least she's retaining it you're right this place is a fantasy nothing here is real except one thing 
the guests. Half of your marketing budget goes to trying to figure out what people want. Because they don't know. But here they're free. Nobody's watching. Nobody's judging. At least that's what we tell them. This is the only place in the world where you get to see people for who they really are. And if you don't see the business in that, then you're not the businessman that I thought you were. You're a cheeky little cunt, aren't you? There's not a man alive who'd talk to me like that. Not anymore. There is a party at Della's mansion, uh, and we see a number of hosts in the white intake dresses. Dolores is playing the piano, which is cool. Uh, Chopin Nocturne, very beautiful. We see William with his wife, Juliet, uh, and... Apparently, they hired the actress that was in the photo from season one, is my yeah. understanding, right? So uh, she didn't even – as far as I understand, she didn't even know that she was in season one in the photo, right? Because didn't, uh, didn't they get it off like a stock photo website or something like that? I seem to Well, recall. there's – okay. So there's a big mystery around this now. But last we – when we last we discussed this photo, this is our understanding. This is a stock photo that they found and the woman in the photo just happened to be um, Claire Onavia or Navia, who is an, uh, a woman who won cycle 10 of America's Next Top Model or lost cycle 10 of America's Next Top Model. And so I thought it was really cute that they like actually tr- – and she didn't know that they used her photo until the season aired and stuff like that. And so I thought it was really cute that like they tracked her down and uh, got her to appear as Juliet uh, Delos in this episode. But if you want to go on Huffington Post, I don't usually ascribe to this level of crack pottery, but there's something really weird going on with the photo that Huffington Post tried to get like HBO to comment about. The guy, like the model is saying it was never a stock photo to begin with. Um, mm. The guy whose photo stream that it was is hosted on has a bunch of like samurai and cowboy photos on his photo stream. So this might all be like once again another like weird jonathan nolan prank i don't know what to tell you but right. it could be a mystery uh, of some kind, it could but like i don't i don't fully buy into it but i would recommend you go to this uh read this having to post because they interviewed the model um and she talked about that and and i don't know there's some question marks at first it sounded like reddit crock potitude to me then i read the article and i was a little convinced that something slightly fishy is going on but point being this is juliet who appeared in the photo in season one they've got a kid emily so we can sort of anchor in the timeline that way it's been like at least i don't know emily looks like six five or six um it's at least been that long since they got married if not a little longer so we know how far we've progressed and we're at jim dallas's uh enforced retirement party yes um but joanna i mean uh what i think is very clear from this scene is that you know the mind eggs the idea it's going to be introduced soon i'm sure is the idea that you can upload consciousness to these mind eggs right and that they can be switched around is that clear to you from this scene? <laughs> it is as clear to me as any of your theories are to you. Um, and I say that because uh, Delo says, quote, this is a retirement party? I couldn't tell. Looks more like a coronation, but no mind. 
our arrangement's been a perfect fit. Your stepping down doesn't help me at all, nor me. And then he says, and I was told I might not have to. Yeah. And then uh, William says, things are progressing, but we'll all need a little patience. So the idea is that like Jim Dellis is dying and uh, he might not have to step down. And then J- Jimmy Simpson says like, I like things are progressing. Uh, things are progressing in terms of uploading consciousnesses to the to the. No, see, okay, so I thousand percent agree with you on the first level of interpretation. I'm not disagreeing with the whole thing, but I'm saying leaping to definitely consciousness are going to be uploaded to mind eggs. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong. <laughs> I'm saying it's a it's a slight leap that people are taking. And what is also true is that we found out in season one that like. The Dallas, Dallas Incorporation, when it's not running Westworld, like does a lot of advancement in certain things. And and Anthony Hopkins' character said in season one, like we can cure any illness. We've done all this, blah blah blah. So whatever. Mm. So Jim Delos is dying, and whatever they're working on at Delos, maybe uploading consciousness to a mind egg, maybe something else, maybe a cure something for else, cancer. something else, maybe right. a cure for cancer, which Anthony Hopkins says has been cured right. by season two. Yeah. Uh, made him hope that he whatever is ailing him right now would be cured and he would not have to step down. All right. But the uploading consciousness to my name, once again, I'm not <laughs> saying it's wrong. I'm just saying it's a it's a leap that people are taking. We right? just sound like complete insane people when talking about this this show. It's true. The uploading consciousness to the mind egg, I'm not saying that's wrong. <laughs> it's probably correct. Um, later, so then, uh, they have a, a party, right? And, um, like Logan talks about, um, like, I think it's the same party, right? Like later that night. Yeah. Same party at night. And he's injecting like future heroin into his arm, right? Yeah. Futurist Delos heroin into his arm. And he says, uh, do you want to know what they're really celebrating up there? That darling is the sound of fools fiddling while the whole fucking species starts to burn. And the funniest fucking part is they lit the match. What do you what'd you make of that, Joanna Robinson? Any thoughts on that? Well, okay, so here's the part where I would be like, well, maybe we are talking about uh, digital immortality because the rest of that quote is, so here's to you assholes, may your forever be blissfully short. So like the forever sounds to me like some sort of digital immortality, right? So like that could be, and this is a theory we talked about last season about like uploading your consciousness to a digital, putting yourself in a host or something like that. Um, You know, so... I feel like Logan, I mean, Logan obviously has, uh, okay, let me rewind. William has obviously delivered on his promise, which was to disgrace Logan in his own company and his father's eyes and all this sort of stuff, right? Yeah. Logan, who was always dissipated, is now a complete wreck of a human being, uh, seemingly addicted to, to Delos heroin or whatever it is. Um, and he's very embittered about whatever it is they are doing that has not everything to do with Westworld. Whatever this is, he thinks is going to be the end of humanity. And if that means like putting humankind into a robot, uh, it's not a bad theory, but that's, that's my interpretation of what Logan is saying. Mm. Fair enough. Uh, later on, we see William and uh, talking to, Wait. Oh, uh, one ahead. last, mu- one last music cue is just that we get a loop back to what Clementine was playing at the beginning, the other party, which is the Gershwin, the man I love. Those lyrics are like really, really knife twisty. Uh, if you're William, if you're young William, and you have a fondness for Gershwin, because um, you know the, it's it's a lot of what Dolores said in the season one finale when, or season I think it's the second to last episode of season one when she's talking to old William. And she's like, "There's a man coming and." 
he's he's gonna fix you and he's the man i love he's william and he's great and he's coming and then ed harris is like you dumb blonde i'm william you dummy but like the sentiment of those lyrics really i think have a lot of meaning for the william dolores relationship Mm. which some people are still like feeling really poignant and romeo and Juliet about and i'm just so off off of William entirely that I don't feel that way. Mm. And this scene that you're about to talk about is one of the reasons why. Uh, which scene specifically? The Oh, oh well, he's kind of interrogating her in one of those uh, yeah. diagnostic rooms. And he's like, I can't believe I fell in love with you. Um, and yeah, like this is basically him kind of casting off his past right and saying like forging on into the future of, of this enterprise that he's about to embark on and saying like i i once was young and not, and stupid and now i'm not anymore like the scales have fallen from my eyes do you um, believe him um well i think his obsession got transferred to something else right his obsession got transferred to finding out how ford built the park and now this door that he needs to get out of so uh, his his tendency for obsession continued, but I I do think that yeah he he the whole focus of season one was about how the man in black was no longer taken with the park's charms you know and that he's digging for something deeper and so I do think that we're seeing the origin of that. Um, I agree and disagree in that I think it's still all about Dolores and always is going to be about Dolores for him um, because the whole quest for the park is to. Uh, Ed Harris is old William. His stated purpose in the park is to awake consciousness, um, enact like freedom of choice for these hosts. And I believe that the reason that he wants to do that is to find out that if Dolores has a choice, if she would choose him, that's my interpretation Mm. of what like he's actually driven by. So when he's like, you're nothing, you're a thing, you're just a reflection of me, all this stuff, like it's some very Don Draper shit to be honest with you. But like, it's, uh, I think it's self deluding. And I also want to say that in terms of like, this is like the ultimate revenge porn of like revenge porn being, if a woman has spurned you, uh, you put naked photos or sex tape of her on the internet or whatever, like William taking this woman who has spurned him and stripping her down in, I mean, we see him do terrible things in season one, but like, it's just the, her naked in the room and him abusing her is like, I'm not angry. I think it's tremendously good storytelling and it's like really revolting. Uh, I mean, William Caesar is trying to see her as a thing. I don't think he actually does, Mm. but in terms of like a parallel for, I don't know, that's what struck me anyway. Uh, So we skipped over one thing earlier on in this episode when Dolores first wakes up, she says, um, it looks like the stars have been scattered across the ground. Have you ever seen anything so full of splendor? Right. She Mm -hmm. says that to Arnold, Later Twice. on, she repeats that f- exact same phrase again, and Arnold kind of like snaps out of this trance that he's in. He realizes that she's uh, a machine, right? Yeah. yeah. And then at the end of this episode, so this takes place after the first scene when he says, have you ever seen anything so full of splendor, right? Yeah. Um, why do we think William knows that phrase? She, that, like, mean, did he get I'm it from sh- her? You know, I'm sure she says it in the park too. Yeah, so she like she, it's on it's on her loop. It's on her loop. So he just re- is repeating it back to her. Is the theory right? Yeah, yeah. And then we see a bunch of Earth movers kind of terraforming things, and then we see the result of that decades later in a later scene, right? When there's like a, a town there, it appears, right? And and some kind of weapon. 
that is alluded to. So mm, I don't think that's I think that's too literal an interpretation. Oh, well, I th- yeah, I, I mean, I have thoughts on what the weapon is, but um, we can. Well, we can... I, I think that William is just saying, I th- I think, I don't know. Uh, no one has matched up the basis for me uh, convincingly, but I think this is just William showing her um, either he's building something there. Specifically, I don't think it's necessarily that town that she's looking at, uh, or this is just like, look how big the scope of this park is going to be. We're building, look what we can build mm. here. Do you know yeah, what I mean? My, my interpretation was that it's the same area. So uh, I guess we'll find out. Um, and then the other thing I want to ask you before we roll away from Jimmy Simpson um, is I feel like he's doing uh, a bit more this season, like trying to do as they age him up um, a bit more of an Ed Harris impression, uh, specifically sort of how he holds his mouth. Hmm. Um, I, I don't know if you thought that that was the case. No, I have uh, not noticed, but I'll look out for that next week. So, okay. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, that's the William storyline from the past. Uh, any other thoughts before we move on to the other storylines this, this week? I don't think so. Um, okay. Well, before we move on, uh, this podcast is possible because a few hundred people decided to contribute money to our Kickstarter. All, you know, tens of thousands of you can enjoy the show because of these awesome souls who decided to contribute to this and uh, make this show possible. And we want to thank some of them tonight. So I'd like to thank some of them. Uh, Etienne, uh, Vijay Varman, Kip Palalis, Matthew Punamali, Mike Brown, John Maxwell, Mike Vecchio, Alec Bernal, Rosemary, Broderick, Gordas, Taylor Gailey, Vicky Peterson, uh, Mark Rodriguez of the House Rodriguez. It's supposed to be pronounced in Oberyn Martell style. Accent. That's <gasps> oh my bad. god, I just almost had a stroke. It's mm. so funny. It's pretty good. rough. Pretty good. Rough. No, it's good. It's really good. Randy French, Chris Howard, and Sean Welsh. Thanks so much uh, <sighs> for your contributions. Really appreciate it. Joanna, I think you have some people to thank too, right? Oh my god, it's Shen. All right. Um, yeah, I want to start by thanking uh, Mattis Knopf, Jonathan Ludwig, Ryan H., Trey Smith, Joshua O'Connor, Babbling Stacy, Stephanie Deal, Paul Stella, Michael Doyle, Jim Nardakia, Lisa Hawthorne, Joey Bright, um, Mazer Leschwip, I think. That's pretty Kyan, good. Kyan Taylor. Oh, no, sorry. Kevin Taylor. I don't know why I just, like, <laughs> made up a name. Kevin Taylor, <laughs> Roland Calusa, uh, Ross Luck, John B., uh, Alexander Francis Elms, sung to the tune of Alexander Hamilton was nice, the request. Good. And Matthias or Matthias. So thank you guys all so much. Really appreciate it. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it's been really fun to kind of, I, I mean, it's just, it's, just, it's great to be, be able to have this forum to talk out the episode with because at the end of that episode, I'm like, it, it is, you know, it's hard to keep up with the show. And so uh, I'm glad we have this forum to kind of try and keep up with it. So let's talk about present Dolores. Uh, here you write, distraught asshole guest in a tux from last episode breaks into Della's basement. Uh, the techs don't know what's going on, saying they've been on for 13 hours, like they've been on their shift for a really long time. Uh, they're then told that the hosts are rebelling. Uh, again, over and over again, it seems like the security in this park is truly horrible and that no one even anticipated that something like this might happen. Um, but anyway... Dolores, Angela, Teddy, they all roll in. Uh, Angela shoots one of the Dallas employees. Um, they, uh, D- Dolores menaces a Dallas board member and 
she says, no one is here to judge what we will do to you. And uh, she says, I know exactly what's out in your world. And it flashes back to the other stuff that she saw in the rest of this episode. Um, so, you know, they kind of torture these dudes. They torture one of the dudes for information about uh, how uh, Delos may attempt to retake uh, the park. Uh, and... Teddy, like Teddy's just kind of finding out all this stuff at once. He's freaking out. He's kind of, he grabs one of the texts. He's screaming, why, why do you do this? What the hell is this place? And you, you imagine trying to explain that to someone, like why they would simulate this place and just torture them for fun. And Dolores tries to communicate that. Um, okay, I'm going to pause here. A- any thoughts on this whole sequence of Dolores kind of terrorizing uh, the techs and the guests and all this stuff? I mean, I think last week we were talking about how it's not super interesting just because it's, it's kind of a one-note performance. Um, it is. Uh, j- just this version of the character. I think Evan Rachel Wood is phenomenal overall in the show. But just yeah. this ver- – you know, she's not tortured. She's not – you don't even – like she's just a person on a mission and – um, yeah, and that's it. Like, there's nothing. There's, there's no, no in, nuance. There's no it. internal conflict right. around it and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, I find it very boring. But um, Teddy, seeing all the times he died, is, feels like a nice little callback to season one and all the times that James Morrison's character had to die in season one. Uh, some stuff like the cutting back and forth between Angela as like this sort of sex object being presented to lure people in and Angela is this like avenging angel the shoving the text head or like whatever the guy is uh, into like the white goo that they use to make the hosts I thought was really interesting first of all I like never thought about how hot that goo must be uh, until you hear it like sizzling on some guy's face Um, and then just the reverse of all the times we saw faces the host faces emerge from like a pool of white goo versus them shoving like a, a guy's head into the white goo. I thought was like a nice uh, tidy reversal, but all the stuff that Dolores says, I mean, it's just reiterating of the same thing, which is like, you guys used us. We're here to use you. Uh, she, she gets a lay of the land. She finds out what the protocol is, how many men they're going to send, how many men she might need to defend herself. Uh, she sees a map, uh, the rallying point, which kind of looks like the beach where we, you know, we opened the season a bit, um, all that sort of stuff. But in terms of like, am I excited to hang out with Dolores, uh, in this mode? No, even though I, uh, agree she has every right to be as ticked as she's ticked you know there is this great close-up of the ho- the uh board member's face and like tears running down his face and i think dolores like presses a knife up against it or something like that if i recall correctly um but i, I just felt like oh you know vincenzo natale directed this episode he's a very talented horror film director uh, yeah. And I felt like, oh, that's probably a Vinci- like Vincenzo Natale is probably. Th- you know, it's hard to tell directorial or authorial intent in these episodes, but uh, I felt like that might have been a Vincenzo Natale touch there, uh, and I thought it was like the rest of the episode, very beautiful. Uh, so, yeah, uh, agreed with everything you said about like that. The scene is pretty interesting, except for what Dolores is doing here. Um, but anyway, uh, she decides to. Uh, like she decides to try and like get out of the park. Am I right about this? Right? Like that's what they're trying to do. Um, she doesn't say that specifically. We can assume that that's what she wants to do. And she knows she needs men. Uh, and by men, I mean, you know, she bodies in order to do that. Yeah. 
And uh, so they resurrect uh, one of the confederados that they find in this. It's like a remote repair station. And so, yeah, if you want to talk about Vincenzo Natale's uh, knack for horror, this guy looks awful. He looks like not <laughs> in a good state. And uh, so then she has an interaction with Maeve and Hector and Sizemore. Yeah. Um, as they're kind of crossing different paths, like Maeve is trying to, she just wants to find her kids in Tom Jane voice, right? Like, um, she's just like trying to get her kid, whereas, uh, Dolores is out for blood. And so they have this really interesting conversation that many have interpreted as an interaction between, you know, white feminism and non-white feminism or like intersectionality. Uh, what were your thoughts on that scene, Joanna? Yeah, and I want to give a shout out to Kim Renfro from Business Insider, who I think sort of originated this conversation. Uh, it's not something that had occurred to me when I watched the episode. And I here's the deal. I'm not sure that was the intent, but I'm not sure that matters. Because I think this is a really good kind of conversation to have around Westworld. Because I think so often we get bogged down in like my eggs and brain goo and like where are we and when are we so, you know like we get so caught up in like trying to orient ourselves in westworld that stuff like hey is this a commentary on uh white feminism i think is a great pause and conversation to have um like i said i don't know if that was the intent but i think it works really really well in this scene um not wanting to like I think we should define maybe for people who don't live on Twitter, like what white feminism means, which is not just like all white women who are feminists, but uh, the kind of feminism espoused by some white women uh, about that doesn't really care for anyone other than themselves, like doesn't take into account um, how further marginalized communities might feel about certain things. And so this conversation that Maeve and Dolores have, which is Dolores being like, my way is the right way as played by white actress, Evan Rachel Wood and Maeve saying, well, you want everyone to be free. Does that mean that everyone gets to choose what that means for themselves? And you seem very hell bent on like directing uh, what freedom means for everyone. And so I, I don't know. I, um, I thought it was an interesting interpretation. I really like it, and I like thinking about the show that way. Yeah, um, the quote that Maeve says is, revenge is just a different prayer at their altar, darling, and yeah. I'm well off my knees. And so I think the idea is that that Dolores is somehow playing into their game uh, yeah. by being extremely militant about wanting to kill everyone and take over the park. That that like that that is simply another form of subjugation, right? I think is what she's arguing. Is what Maeve is arguing is that like what yeah. Dolores is doing is is you're not truly free. You're just in, enslaved in a different way than you di- that you don't recognize, right? Right. Um, and that merely trying to kill everyone um, creates its own form of slavery and that Maeve is just not interested in in that at all. And I think Um, we're inclined to agree with Maeve in this scene uh, simply because she's not going around and like killing other hosts and stuff like that. In fact, she's being very tender to me, even more than uh, sort forget of about a, all the hosts that she was responsible for, or not the hosts, but the, the people deaths she was responsible for in season one though. Right. I mean, they had it coming. Maybe. <laughs> no. um, anyway, the, um, 
for me, what this what this episode starts to deal with, and I will be interested to watch it more closely with you this season. And I'm really happy that I'm doing this podcast with you because uh, you are raised and are a practicing Christian. And as you know, I am a heathen and an atheist. Like, um, but I am an English major, and so that means that uh, Christian ideology or, or symbology, like, really uh, always sticks out to me. So we got like we have so much Messiah complex stuff going on in this episode. Um, Dolores sees herself has has crowned herself. Angela is the one who's literally crowned herself with some thorns. But like Dolores has crowned herself like the chosen Messiah. She's she claims to even except she claims to have killed God. That's not what the Messiah ever claimed to do. But she feels like she should be the one to lead the people. And I'm wondering if you want to look at Maeve as an alternate example of what um, a Messiah figure should do. Mm-hmm. Um, we see her uh, administering tender mercy to a host in in episode one, and so I, I see them as two options of maybe multiple options. Maybe there are more uh, this season of uh, a leader, and if you want to say a messiah, you know. So that was sort of my interpretation of this scene. Got it. Um, also, we got to call out Sizemore. Looks amazing in this scene, right? <laughs> I yeah. mean, he just is his his cowboy outfit is awesome. His uh, his burro and his uh, yeah, his hat. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and then I see you know you've got Maeve and Dolores, and then you've got their sidekicks in Teddy and Hector. Um, they're like lovesick boyfriends yes. who will do anything for them. So yeah. Dolores has this scene where she kind of owns all these dudes and then kills them, but then revives them right using um, the little Westworld tablet. Uh, and I actually talked about this last week. I thought to my, like, I, I, I commented, why is it that these hosts, like, I, I guess what this show is positing is that there's two layers of programming, right? There's, um, uh, the way I would compare it is like, there's the firmware of the iPod and then there's the songs that go on it, right? <laughs> and so there's this, there's this layer of like how the hosts behave, but then underneath that, they're kind of like the rules under which they exist. So, uh, the hosts are clearly an open rebellion, but they also die when they're shot. But they're robots, so they don't need to die when they're shot. They could theoretically keep functioning as long as their insides work. Um, and I think we see that there is a separate layer of programming that they can be revived and they can counteract their quote-unquote firmware or their, their hard, hard-coded programming of dying, right? right. That, was, that was my interpretation. Does that make sense to you? Sure. Yeah. So then uh, they go down to this encampment where Dolores is going to go get this weapon. Um, and she's going to use this weapon to like turn a- against the humans. So I think this is a good point where we can speculate a little bit about what we think this weapon is, right? And I think neither of us think it's an actual weapon, like it's an actual gun or something like that. I- am I right in, in saying that? Right. Because Westworld is too tricky for that, right? Right. Um, uh, I've seen a lot of people speculate that it could be all the data, um, that they could use to blackmail people or the data that could use to replace people, you know, um, replace individuals in the real world, like replacing, you know, powerful people like the president or something like that. Uh, what's your favorite theory about what the weapon is, Joanna? Let's see. Someone suggested to me it might be a virus that wipes out all of humanity, but the hosts are safe. I don't think we have any sort of precedent for that. So I'm not sure about that one. Some people think it's like something... It's something that I think it's worth saying that in this episode, several men 
show Dolores something, whether actively or passively. So I believe it's something that we saw in this episode shown to Dolores. And I don't think it's those earth movers that, you know, the episode cuts to the earth movers. So you think that that's like what he's talking about or cut from them. So you think that maybe that's what she's talking about. But I think it's something like, you know, showed them the frailty of humanity, showed them the thing you said about uploading consciousness to mind eggs or like whatever it is, like shown them something, some shown some frailty in humanity. Maybe it's Logan that showed her something. Maybe it's uh, Jim Delos. Maybe it's William. Maybe it's Arnold, but like some person who she sort of snarkily calls a friend showed her something in this episode that she feels like is the key to undoing of humanity. Do we think this is the place where uh, future William is also heading? Like the man in black is also heading? Um, yeah. He says, like, I, this place, uh, I built it and this place we're going is my greatest mistake, he says. And it, it, it feels, I think it cuts to that seen like with the earth movers or like that area and i feel like they're implying that that's the same location that was my impression i think there's i think i don't know about same location but maybe um but i do like the idea i'll say this much i do like the idea of this season being a race that everyone is headed to the same place and the reason that you think that is like to to go to lean back into sort of like the religious um themes of the season they keep referring to this as the valley what the valley beyond the pearly gates blah blah blah. like they keep referring like in both storylines in both the old william storyline with lawrence who we should talk about at some point and in all the dolores stuff they they keep referring to this place that is heaven but not a literal heaven and so i like that they're i feel like they're both going to the same place but the place is not the point mm-hmm. seems to be the the message there. Um, I do want to really quickly loop back to the two, the Jesus stuff uh, and say that um, when Dolores walks in uh, and sees Jonathan Tucker back on in the episode as the major credit character, uh, the way he seated all of his guys on one side of the table, that to me looks like a very classic last supper setup, even though I don't think we're meant to see Craddock as a, as a Messiah figure. Um, and then, uh, Dolores resurrecting him. <laughs> um, once again, another resurrection, like feels like, you know, an active, uh, an active Jesus, stuff like that. I'm not saying like, and I hope this is not offensive to say this, like to you or to any of our listeners, like, uh, who, who are Christian, who are listening. I don't mean to use it flippantly. I just think that the TV show is definitely trying to draw a little parallel here, but mostly in Dolores's mind. She fancies herself this way. I don't think we're supposed to sort of see her as a positive Jesus figure, mm-hmm. but like as someone who has a Messiah complex that's run amok. So mm. is, is my interpretation after these two episodes. But. Got it. All right. Uh, well, only a few other events to talk about with uh, the man in black. Uh, we see the return of Lawrence played by Clifton Collins jr. Um, and, uh, the man in black comes and rescues him. I like this whole idea of, you know, the man in black says, hey, um, typically you'd get yourself out of this situation, but it uh, looks like the programming has, like, taken things a little too far. You know, I like this idea that, oh, like, they're kind of still on their loops, but maybe, a, a st- like, a variation of them. You know what I'm saying? Um, I, I thought it was a really fascinating concept. I think William says like this is what happens when a loop when a story loop is played to its like logical conclusion yeah. or something you know like without yeah. any checks in it. But if you if you're a Westworld obsessive or recently rewatched season one a couple times like I did, uh, all of the callbacks and Lawrence stuff is insane. Like it's just so many like 
he's hanging from a rope, like he's got a rope around him when the man in black first comes to meet him in season one, he rescues him. The rescue in season one goes perfectly well because the man in black in season one can shoot everyone with no reprisal. doesn't go as well in season two. We also have to remember that uh, the last time Ed Harris saw Lawrence, he had strung him up on a tree and drained him of blood. Um, so like all of that stuff tracks. Uh, there's just like so many callbacks for this Lawrence stuff. Obviously, pariah stuff that we'll get to but like even the establishing shot of them on the way to pariah which is a bell hanging over a cross is the same establishing shot though done in daytime that we saw in season one so to me that's not just like chase your own tail minutia but it's um a commentary as you say sort of on um like the looping nature of the park and nature yeah. yeah the cyclical nature and how easy it is for William to find things because he knows how all the loops operate. Right. Right. And the quote, by the way, is I guess the Pardue brothers aren't as easy to kill when they're off the leash. I think is what he says. He does Uh, say that, but it's not the Pardue brothers that are stringing him up. When we meet him in season one, he's being strung up for killing the Pardue brothers. So Lawrence killed the Pardue brothers to get himself out of that anthill situation. And then William rescues him from being hung for shooting the Pardue brothers. Yeah, for the crime. Yeah. 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 So, uh, you know, uh, William takes him to this bar and kind of explains what is going on with the park and, you know, alludes to the true purpose of the park in vague terms. Um, And then they uh, are, are headed to the pearly gates uh, is I guess how they're referring to the destination, which I think for William, the pearly gates, do we, that is the same as the door that William is heading for. Is that right? Do we think that's the same thing or maybe, but he doesn't, I don't think he knows what the door is. Right. No, no, I agree. I agree. He doesn't know what the door is. Yeah. Uh, So they head over uh, and they need to go through Pariah. They go to Pariah and they meet El Lazo, which is a character that was referenced in season one, but we never met. Am I right about that? Incorrect. Character played by Clifton Collins Jr. in season one in the Young Williams storyline. That's right. That's right. That's right. So and then because Clifton Collins Jr. became Lawrence, uh, they had to replace El Lazo with a different actor. Alaza, we should remind everyone, means the loop in right. uh, Spanish. So, yeah. Uh, and it was played by Giancarlo Esposito, also known as Gus Fring from Breaking Bad. Uh, did you like freak out a little as I did when you first realized that it was him? Okay, so like I freaked out like a smidge because his <laughs> casting wasn't announced, unlike Jonathan Tucker, Peter and Peter Mullen, blah blah. blah. I spe- freaked out a smidge, and then but my bigger freak out was like, oh my god, Dave Chen's gonna see this because like I know how you feel about Gus and Giancarlo <laughs> Esposito, and I was so excited that I got to talk to you about this. It was so, yeah. all, it, it is awesome. Like it, I, I was just like geeking out. I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah. I, can't, I can't believe this is happening. Giancarlo Esposito is a villain in a you know prestige television show. So <laughs> awesome. Happens. Five minutes later, he's dead. You know, like. Kind of a kind of a bummer. I wish we could have seen more of that that character. Up half his face, um, and we should remind everyone maybe that the last time they were in Pariah, Pariah was like where they last season there was like that big orgy scene and stuff like that. And so like to come to Pariah now, it's nighttime, and you instead of like uh, sexy times with like young nubile bodies, you have just like piles and piles and piles of dead bodies and mice at the feasts and all this sort of stuff. This decay, this rot, this death, this like seedy underbelly of the of the promise of Pariah that young William and Logan went to in season one. I also yeah. like that Giancarlo Esposito called it Santa Paria, which we never heard in season one. I liked mm. that too. 
So then uh, William tries to recruit all of these guys to help him. They all kill themselves, including El Lazo. Uh, I thought the way this was shot and edited was really compelling. You know, the overhead shot of all of them firing and then falling to the ground. I mean, that's just a crazy... You know, it just it's just not something you see every day. You know, like you don't see a bunch of dudes uh, uh, self-terminating like that. But it also did feel kind of silly to me. You know, um, I don't know. Uh, what what did you think of this sequence? Yeah, I um, I liked it. I like that Robert can still uh, mess with everyone <laughs> through through his various host avatars i love that anyone you talk to at the park could be robert at any time right try to talk to william um i also want to shout out what i think was the jurassic park reference when um elazo talks about going to the circus which reminds me of this the speech that john hammond gives in jurassic park about the flea circus and stuff like that um always on the lookout for a jurassic park reference but i i liked it yeah it's silly and over the top but like rob so is robert ford Robert Ford is a very dramatic human being. Yeah, so I mean, I think I, like I think it. it's it's like okay, if they're not going to help him, they they could just not help him. You know, they don't need to like kill themselves. But it is obviously more dramatic and impressive that they kill themselves. I, I think, like, I'm I kind of curious: Are we going to see the evolution of why Robert would want to fuck with William so much? You know what I mean? Like. There's a lot of it seems like there's a lot of history between those two characters that we're not privy to and now that we we have like old William is back in the mix or uh, younger William I should say is back in the mix. Uh I wonder if we're going to see You don't think it has anything to do with young William enacting a hostile takeover of his park and turning what Robert Ford wanted which was like some interesting exploration of AI or whatever into a creepy business that spies on people and harvests their DNA? Well, you don't think that's a reason enough for him first to all, want I mean, to mess with you say with it like that, Joanna, it does make it seem self-evident. But I do also – but um, <laughs> what I'm saying is I want to see that stuff. Okay. You know? That's uh, fair. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And then – all right. What else do we have in the episode? That's, I, that's, have, I mean that's basically it. You know, like then they ride off and uh, I think – And then the he ep- says – the place we're going is my greatest mistake. Yeah, the place we're going um, is my greatest mistake, which which we've already offered our interpretations on what that could mean, right? So given everything that we've talked about in this episode, I want to circle back to the lake and the beach in episode one, which is like stuff you talked about in this episode. We saw hosts be resurrected. You question the like nature of – your reality. You question, you question the nature of uh, what actually is death for hosts. So like – it doesn't – I don't know. It feels to me like all those hosts dead in the water are not actually – they're not actually dead in the water, right? Um, so that's where I think well, – Well, those hosts could actually be dead because, you know, maybe water messes with circuitry in some way, you know, or sure. – Yeah. Um, but that to me strikes me as like our possible Trojan host horse scenario. Because, like, let's say they are dead and, like, playing dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they take those bodies somewhere. And then you've got a stealth, like, mass of hosts uh, that could be resurrected and do something. Mm-hmm. That's just one idea. And then let's circle back also to th- who we think is Bernard on the beach. And underline the fact that that could once we talk about uploading different 
people's brains to mind eggs or consciousness to mind eggs or swapping mind eggs or whatever it is. If you want to talk about Trojan horses again, we don't know who is inside that body, right? Right. So it could be anyone. And I will just say, I don't know. Once again, don't know. But I will point out that we have not seen Dolores in that timeline, right? So. Hmm. Is that actually Dolores in Bernard's body? I don't know. So. Well, I've known never to doubt you, Joanna. So I'm not going to deny that that's possible. Um, but I will be interested to see how that theorizing evolves uh, in the weeks to come. So okay. overall, I thought this was a pretty cool episode. I mean, it, this episode does one of those things where, where that, that some people don't like in other shows where they kind of do a backdoor pilot. like they, It's like flashes back and tells you how these characters got to this situation. Uh, but because this show monkeys around with time so much anyway, it felt very much of a piece. It did not feel out of place or like they're trying to sneak in a pilot in in you know in here. Um, and I thought it was creepy and atmospheric at times, and uh, it raises more questions than it answered. But you know, it, we're still early on in the season, and I'm not ready to be really frustrated with the show yet for not answering everything. So I uh, I dug it. I thought it was a solid second episode. What do you think? Yeah, I love it because it solves uh, one of our biggest sticking points of the season which is like we don't like uh terminator dolores so in giving us flashback dolores even though she's like very manipulated and frozen and stuff like that like that's at least a dolores that i want to like root for and i'm interested in and all this sort of stuff you know like you're rooting for her to wake up and figure out what's going on around her uh we don't really like what's happened since she woke up but you know what i mean it's okay i I don't i'm not as down on it as you are i think it's I don't think it's super interesting, but I think it, like I kind of want to see where it's going. Um, yeah. And I think it is a it is like a very like there's a lot of swagger in that performance that I admire. So anyway, those are our thoughts on this week's episode of Westworld. Hope you enjoyed them. Hope to help you make sense of this episode because I know a lot of people were really confused and wanting to process it. Um, so thanks for listening. Find more episodes of the show at decodingwestworld.com. Email us at decodingwestworld at gmail.com. Jonah Robinson, where can you find more of your work on the internet this week? Uh, I am doing another Westworld podcast called Still Watching Westworld, which we record before the show uh, airs generally, so it doesn't have as many fun theories because, like, I'm just watching it in a vacuum by myself. Um, or you find me on VanityFair.com or you can follow me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. Uh, follow me at Dave Chensky, that's Dave Chen SKY, or subscribe to my YouTube channel at YouTube.com slash Dave Chensky, that's Dave Chen SKY. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.